This is Dennis Farina, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Yeah, Robertson, welcoming you back to TV Confidential, a radio talk show about television that's pleased to welcome Mr. Charles Grodin, a man who knows a thing or two about radio, talk shows, and television, not to mention films, books, and Broadway. There are very, very few fields in the world of entertainment that Charles Grodin has not conquered, which is amazing when you consider the number of show business people who once told Charles very early in his career that he would never succeed at anything in the world of show business. That's just one of the stories, folks, that Charles Grodin shares in a brand new DVD called The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk, that offers hands-on, straight-shooting, real-world advice that is based on Charles's five decades of experience as an award-winning actor, writer, and director. We'll tell you where you can find the perils of show business in just a second. But first, Charles Grodin, welcome to TV Confidential. Thank you. Thanks very much. It's, uh, it, covers, it really covers primarily the eight years I spent studying. And the reason I did this was that it, some, some, somehow it occurred to me that in those eight years at the University of Miami, at the Pittsburgh Playhouse School of the Theater, uh, with Uta Hagen in New York, with Lee Strasberg in New York, no one ever said, nor did I read in any book on acting, because I, I tended to read everything I could get my hands on, mm-hmm. no one ever said that about 3% of the people that go into the field make a living. That was never shared with us. Yeah. I mean, maybe they weren't aware of it. None of the people who were doing the teaching ever made a living as actors. And, and then maybe 1% would you have heard of them. And in my experience, this was not because of lack of talent. I thought, I thought there was an abundance of talent. I saw, I saw people that were just so, so good. It had to do, first of all, you needed this ability, obviously, but you also needed to have a thick skin and you had to be able to go forward because, well, my, the first book I wrote was called, uh, It Would Be So Nice If You Weren't Here, <laughs> which, 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 which someone told uh, Candace Bergen and me. We were waiting in a room off a, uh, they were setting uh, cameras up in a, in a hall of a castle where we were filming in London. And, and we just sat down in this room off the side and a woman opened the door and said, did someone ask you to wait in here? And I said, no. She said, be so nice if you weren't here. <laughs> so I use that because you can't say, and then I won this award. Yeah. But, you know, that's not entertaining. The negative is what's entertaining. So I use that as the title, and it's all about dealing with rejection in show business, which anyone who goes into it is going to have an abundance of it. And some of us were just able to deal with it better than others. And I had one particular friend that she she was just outstanding, and she opened off Broadway and member of the wedding of the mm-hmm. Drew, that Julie Harris became famous for, and uh, she got rave reviews. And a big agency took her on and introduced her to all the agents. And then at the end of the day, they said to her, uh, "We just don't feel you're a commercial type." Well, she quit. She just quit the business. And then, like ten minutes later, there was Gene Wilder, there was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. So you didn't have to look like Jane Russell or Marilyn Monroe. People just give up too quickly, and you have to be in it for the run. I, uh, my my chiropractor, who I, I visited uh, today, I hadn't seen him in a while. I'd sent him a copy because he has a young son interested in, mm-hmm. and uh, he said his son got very mad at him after watching the DVD. Uh, I said, "What? What exactly was he? his son? Is ten, mm-hmm. and he took it as, a, as he, the way he interpreted it that his father was saying, "Get out." Well, he's only ten; he doesn't have to get out, right? It's just good to know 
that there's a lot of setbacks and you have to be prepared to to deal with that. I mean, when I when I first got an agent, I asked if I should have pictures made, and he literally said, "Yes, have pictures made." Then the people who don't want to see you will know who it is they don't want to see. <laughs> so it, it's always those stories, and you know, I kind of look for it. And in, in my experience, even to this day. I actually, I have felt this for a long time. If somebody doesn't want to do something with me, for example, I've had three plays produced in New York. They mm-hmm. all sold out. You think, you think I could get a play produced in New York? Well, I, so far, this, I haven't been able to. It's not for lack of effort, and I'll keep doing But my basic feeling, even long before this time, was um, you made a mistake. Yeah. You should have gotten me. I mean, for example, right now, to show you how crazy it is, even to this day, I, I played the leading role in the two Beethoven movies, mm-hmm. and they each grossed over $1 billion. Now, there, there's conversations going back and forth about doing another one, but they don't know if they want me to be in it, <laughs> which what? I find kind of amusing, frankly. I mean, why wouldn't you? And Maybe they think I'll cost too much money. Well, find out. Right. Ask, the, ask that question. And the other one that's happening all at the same time, is they're doing a sequel to the movie I did with Robert De Niro, Midnight Run, Mm -hmm. but they don't plan to have me in it. Which, again, it it makes you wonder because, I mean, my my thing on remakes or reimagining, which is the buzzword these days for remakes, is that... This this wouldn't be a remake, it would be... It would be a sequel. It would be 25 years later. Yeah, well, it, well, you know, it, it's been done with The Odd Couple. It's been done with virtually every television shows these days. It dep- and, and, and to me, the It just one- seems odd to me if you have a movie and you're going to do that story at a later date, meaning, you know, the, 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 the follow another, a later version of it, that you would want the two people who are in it. And who made it successful. Uh, right. I mean, it just seems a little odd. But the good news for me is... Uh, I, I, I just find them, I find it odd. I, it's not like I'm sitting here sulking or right. staring into space. But And one of the reasons for that is when you get involved with a lot of things, particularly in my case, I'm an advocate for inmates mm-hmm. who I feel are unjustly in prison. And when you get involved with something like that, it's very difficult to even remember what you're supposed to be <laughs> uh, uh, worried about or upset about regarding yourself. I mean, you know, I've got three autistic mentees. And a number of people who count on me for help of various kinds. And and you want to hear about problems. I mean, one of the cases that I'm working on right now, I've never even heard of anything like this. It, this is a boy who's serving life in prison in Florida. He was convicted of uh, uh, premeditated murder. Mm-hmm. And yet no one disputes that at the time of the crime, he was home asleep in bed. He wasn't even there. It was a party. And he lent his car to a friend, and the friend and others went out and committed a robbery and a murder. And you'd have to believe that he, that he said, take my car, you know, premeditated. Right. Take my car, go out and commit a murder. Well, in the history of mankind, other than hitmen, well, this kid had no record. His, his mother works for an Air Force general. And I've got David Boyce, who represented Al Gore in the Supreme Court in the 2000 election. I've got his office working on it pro bono. Mm-hmm. But who knows? I mean, who really knows? It seems like I've got 2020, uh, the news magazine, going to do a story about him. But, I mean, it makes me, frankly, embarrassed because I have a certain, you know, born and raised in America, we have certain ideas right. uh, of what America is. And when you hear something like that, you say, well, that, that's, that doesn't sound like America. 
I mean, as I was saying when we were off the air, I think we let people out of prison we shouldn't let out because they're dangerous. Yeah. But but a boy with no record who was home asleep in bed at the time of the crime, how on earth can you, in life with no chance of parole? It, it sounds like another country. Well, one of the things we talk about a lot on this program, Charles, is celebrities who use their notoriety to make a difference and to bring attention to things that, that the public don't. Well, that's what I've been trying to do. I that's don't exactly what any you're organization. Yeah. They've all tried to solicit me, but these organizations are often picketing the offices of the elected officials that I'm sitting with. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I, I this started like in the mid to late 90s when I just went up to Bedford Hills uh, Correctional Facility. They don't like to call them prisons. And, <laughs> and I put four women on camera and I took the uh, video of the women and at a luncheon to Albany and showed it to the uh, Republican leadership led by then uh, the Senate leader, Joe Bruno. And all he said was, I agree with you. And they were all granted clemency. And one of the cases was so egregious that it, it resulted in the Rockefeller drug laws being reformed in uh, in 2004. Ironically, sometime in the last three years, the former Senate Majority Leader called me for help because he was indicted. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this just comes under the heading of you can't make this up. It's so extreme. But the, the good news is it feels like a calling, and the bad news is once you got that calling, it does get your attention. I'll lie in bed at night, you know, in my nice house and everything, and, and I think about this boy lying in a small cell. Yeah. Well, at least you're doing what you can to I, I am doing everything I can. Yeah. I don't lack effort. And, mm-hmm. and and I don't even really know where this perils of show business idea came. I can't I can't even trace where it, be, where, where it began. I might have been speaking somewhere and talking about it, and then I thought so few people are aware of this mm-hmm. that, that it really should be shown the ideal place for this is for like high schools to uh, to show it because you don't want to do it to in colleges because the drama majors in college they'll think, uh, well, wait a minute, you know they're paying to go to college. Why right. are we? Why should, if they even know that barely anybody will make a living at this? But in high schools, when you're making that career decision, mm-hmm. if you know that, and as I, I point out in the DVD, that doesn't mean you shouldn't attempt to do it, but you should know the situation and. Always try to keep a lot of irons in the fire and, and be aware that in addition to talent, you must have uh, perseverance and you must have a, a thick skin. If mm-hmm. you're, if you're, you know, you require sensitivity to be an actor. Yeah. And yet if you're sensitive, it doesn't feel good when everyone, no one's interested in seeing you. Yeah. In, in, in other words, you're not, your, your key message, one of your key messages is not so much don't do this, but if you're going to be aware, enter with your eyes open. Yeah, that's really that's really quite it. And don't even enter if you don't think you can take rejection. Yeah. Because you've got to be able to take rejection. Mm-hmm. I mean, it never. I mean, you, many years ago, Universal Pictures uh, had a young actor under option, and uh, they they dropped his option because they felt his uh, Adam's apple was too big, and that was Clint Eastwood. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. He 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 did okay. He, he, yeah. He did I mean, okay. so you know, there are these people <laughs> making these decisions all the time, and yeah. you really wonder. I remember there was a big executive at the William Morris Agency. They represented me, and I had been working. You know, I was in a Broadway show in 1962. I was one of three speaking parts, and the other two were stars. One was Anthony Quinn, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was standing room only, and my take-home pay was $107 a week. So while I was working steadily and actually building a good reputation, 
I, the first 10 years, I made $3,000 a year, gross. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a, an executive at the William Morris Agency telling me if I didn't make it, he meant money, by the time I was 30, I should really choose another profession. I just chose not to tell him I was 32. <laughs> and then three months later, I was in Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. So what you want to be aware of, not just in show business, but everywhere, I'd exactly. say particularly in the medical profession, that there are too many people who present themselves as all-knowing who just simply aren't because no one is. You're listening to a conversation with Charles Grodin that originally aired in December 2012 here on TV Confidential. Charles Grodin passed away this past Tuesday, May 18th at the age of 86. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. At the time we spoke to Charles Grodin in December 2012. He had just released an instructional DVD called The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk, that offers hands-on advice about acting schools, the audition process, and the world of agents that is essential viewing for anyone who wishes to consider pursuing a career as an actor. The Perils of Show Business, Proceed at Your Own Risk, is still available at Amazon.com. You are not so much anti-acting school no. Per se, as much as you are accepting the word of certain teachers as gospel. Well, I asked uh, the Uta Hog and my first teacher in New York why we were carrying imaginary suitcases and opening imaginary windows. And I meant it sincerely. I'm not a wise guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did that for a long time with Johnny Carson and David Letterman. But in life, I'm not like that. I won't, I'm not doing trick questions. I. I sincerely was trying to understand it. I had no idea that she would be deeply offended by the question. <laughs> I really didn't know that that was offensive. I thought you were, it was okay to ask a question. You're a student. You raise your hand. You ask a question. But I have re- I should have I should have maybe suspected it because when I was ten years old, uh, the teacher chose to uh, remove me as president of the fifth grade class because I I asked why. Why do we have to walk single file, no talking? All the classes are changing at the same time. Well, she removed me. You can't call it impeachment. Yeah. <laughs> There's no woman involved or anything. Uh, but she removed me for the presidency. And then when I was 11 years old, I asked the, I was raised Orthodox Jewish. I, I, now I'm on the board of the UJA. I'm on the board of Catholic Foundations. Everyone says I'm covering all. All bets, but <laughs> when, I, when I was when I was eleven, I asked the rabbi completely sincerely, Rabbi, what do the Hebrew words mean that we're reciting on the blackboard? He kicked me out. <laughs> he kicked me out of the Hebrew school. I couldn't believe it. And then when I went on to uh, to high school, I would ask Mr. Kennedy, the economics teacher, about certain economic theories. I was a, a valedictorian. I was the class president. I thought if I didn't understand it then probably some of the other kids who were more shy than I, which is just about everybody, uh, they wouldn't speak up. But, and he kept kicking me out of class. But I never once meant it to be a wise guy. I mean, I, even as I talk to you today, I can't, I can't grasp why that would be offensive. You're in a class, and you're asking a legitimate question. I, I guess... Uh, but, there, but there are certain people that just they take it personally. Yeah, I, I guess... I guess it just has to do with expectations, and that when uh, whether you're an Uta Hagen or whether yeah. you're a, a Professor Kingsfield, the character John Hausman played in Paper Chase, if you're something like that, if you have yeah. this legend, where no, you know, you know what I what I uh, toward the end of Uta Hagen's life, I was at a gathering, and she was sitting next to a friend of mine on the sofa, and I walked over and said hello, mm-hmm. and she said to him. 
he came into my class and acted like he knew everything. And I looked at her and I said, you know, I really apologize. That, that wasn't my intention at all. I, I actually didn't know anything, and I was trying to learn something. Yeah. And she looked up at me, and she leaned over, and she kissed my hand. Because I think she saw that it was the truth. I mean, I really yeah. did want to know why, what would be the purpose of the, the the opening imaginary windows, carrying imaginary suitcases. And I stayed there for three years, and after I left, she dropped the exercises. Well, But the benefit for me of studying acting for eight years, and I, I think it's, it's, it should be said, wasn't so much that, oh, I'll never forget the time so-and-so said this or said that. It wasn't so much what they were saying. It was it was the only place you were going to get up and perform. Yeah. So by the time I got around to auditioning for my first Broadway show, I had been in front of teachers that didn't like me, uh, judgmental, uh, competitive students. Uh, I had been performing for eight years and uh, actually went on stage and, uh, to audition and they came up on stage after the audition and just hired me on the spot and sent everyone home, which looking back I think was inappropriate since the other kids were there. They should have been given a, a chance, but they just, and they couldn't believe that I hadn't done other Broadway shows mm -hmm. or this or that, but they, they didn't fully grasp that there were, there were eight years of getting up in front of uh, not the most friendly people. Which, which leads me to uh, another famous acting teacher you, you talk about, in the perils of show business, Lee Strasberg. And we'll pick up that thread on the other side of the break. You're listening to a conversation with Charles Grodin that originally aired in December 2012 on TV Confidential. Charles Grodin passed away this past Tuesday, May 18th at the age of 86. We'll play more of our conversation with Charles Grodin when we come back, among other things. We'll talk some more about Charles' personal approach to acting and how his choices as an actor changed over the course of his career. He'll also share a few memories of Johnny Carson. All that and more, we come back after this quick timeout here on TV Confidential. Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life, but it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. Their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontporchrealtygroup.com, for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you. You can now purchase T-shirts, mugs, caps, hoodies, wall clocks, and other gifts with the TV Confidential logo from the official TV Confidential merchandise shop. For more information, go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential, cafepress.com forward slash TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk 
at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.